0: Well, if you have your Bible, let's open up to Ephesians 3. We're going to carry on in our study of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at the third petition this morning. I hope it's been an encouragement to you already as we've kind of looked at this great prayer that Jesus left us with. As he said, when you pray, pray like this. Remember, if you have no idea where Ephesians is, feel free to go to the table of contents in your Bible or just open up to the New Testament, which is kind of like the the second half of your Bible. So you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Keep going, keep going. You'll see Galatians, Ephesians is where we're going to be. We're going to look in chapter 3, so look for the big number 3 if you don't know how to look things up in the Bible. And then look for the little number 14. That's the verse that we're going to be in this morning. As we consider what... It means when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're looking at that petition. And again, I'll reference the shorter catechism question that you have there in your bulletin. Really helpful uh, description of what's going on here. I'm actually going to read the larger catechism, which is that one just expanded out later on. And so as you're thinking about this, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as you're opening up to Ephesians chapter 3, let me ask you a question. If you had the time and resources to open any franchise, what would it be? Any franchise, you might be thinking Chick-fil-A, you might be thinking Bojangles, if you're me, you might be thinking Starbucks, Ace Hardware, did you know that was a franchise? Chipotle, Remax, what What? if you had any, if you had the time, resources, energy, whatever to be able to open any franchise, what would it be? As you know, there's a dizzying array of franchise operations, but they all boil down to a basic premise. There was an original store that opened, and after years of kind of operating in trial and error and learning best practices, they allow others to kind of take that proven business model and that proven name, and for a fee, you're able to go and replicate it in other places. And in the perfect world, all you have to do is follow the proven model, use the pre-existing name recognition to draw in new customers. There's something about, you know, like if we were to open a Starbucks, for example, you don't have to explain what that is, people just kind of know what it is. And so you use that pre-existing name recognition, this proven business model that's been replicated other places, and you just kind of run the program. Have you ever been in another town and you're driving around and you see something and you're like, man, I wish we had that in our town. I wish we had fill-in-the-blank here in Fort Payne in our area. The thing about a franchise when you think about it is that it also means that you can't just decide that you're going to make Big Macs a certain way. There's a way that a Big Mac gets made. And you, you can't just make them the way you want to. You have to trust the process. You have to kind of follow the plan as it goes through. That's what it means to have a franchise. And similarly, have you ever visited in another town, you saw people doing something well, and you said and thought, man, I wish our town did something like that. You ever felt that feeling? Man, you see somebody doing something really well, and you go, I wish our town would do that that way. And you kind of have that that feeling in your heart. For me, it's always downtown Hendersonville, North Carolina. When I think about downtown Fort Payne, downtown uh, Hendersonville, we used to live in Hendersonville. It's a beautiful little downtown, similar kind of size town. And it just has an awesome, cool downtown that's easy to walk. they got a Mass General store. It's just neat. The whole time, like, man, I wish that downtown Fort Payne could be like downtown Hendersonville, North Carolina. That's one of the reasons why I serve on the Main Street Board here in town. I'm trying to be a part of that process. You know, you think, man, I, I, wish, I wish our town looked like that. I, I wish it felt like that. And that feeling that you had when, when you think about, man, I wish our town had this franchise, or man, I wish our town could do something well like that, that feeling that you have in your heart, that's what it's like to pray the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, We pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That feeling that you have, that's what it's like. More on that in just a moment. And as you may know, we've been making our way through the Lord's Prayer, primarily the text found in Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus' disciples came and asked them to teach him how to pray, and so he did. And again, Al Mohler said, The Lord's Prayer takes less than 20 seconds to read out loud, but it takes a lifetime to learn. And there's a Latin phrase we learned a few weeks ago, Lex Oriandi, Lex Credendi. As we pray, we believe. And so as we pray to the Lord, kind of our theology and what we believe to be true about God just kind of comes forward in our prayers. And this prayer has been typically broken up into six petitions, bookended by a preface on one side and a conclusion on the other side. And again, remember, petition is we're asking God to do something. We're asking God to in a particular way. And I've said before, Kevin DeYoung said the first three requests focus on God's glory, His name, His kingdom, and this morning, His will. The second set of three requests focuses on our good, our provision, our forgiveness, and our protection. And we're going to finish that first set of three this morning, and we're going to pick back up with the second set of three after mission's emphasis, which also happens to be three weeks long. So three, 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 lots of threes in there. And so in order to understand what's going on in the third petition, we need to remember the immediate context, what comes before, right? We've already prayed, hallowed be your name, so honored be your name. Your kingdom come, we talked about that last week. Then what comes next in the third petition is your will be done. You can't take that out and not have hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. They all go together. We're saying, may your name be honored, may your kingdom take first place in my heart, and may that kingdom continue to expand in our world. But how do we see God's kingdom growing in our world? How do we see that? What signposts do we have? What can we point to? What can we look to? What, do we, can, what can we kind of notice? Let's find out. That's what we're going to talk about in the third petition this morning. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 14 to 19 this morning. Let's give attention to the reading of God's word. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I'm grateful for that, and I hope you are. Let's ask the Lord's help as we look to His word. Please pray with me. Oh, Father, as we come before Your word, we come before You. We pray for humility. Lord, we pray for open hearts. Redescribe reality to us. Remind us of what is true and right and give us hope. Lord, remind us, Lord, of your kingdom and that you're always at work. Father, we just long to glorify your name and to rest in you, and we pray these things humbly in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, so if you're a note-taking type of person, the big question that we're going to ask is going to be very similar to the past two weeks. We're asking the question, what do we learn from the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, and how does it point to the gospel? So what do we learn in this third petition, and then how does it point us towards the gospel? So we're going to look at two main points this morning. We're going to keep it very simple. We're actually going to use the two parts of the petition as our points. So point one is, your will be done. What does that mean? Number two, on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? So we're going to look at point one, your will be done. Point two, on earth as it is in heaven. So we'll just use those two. Let's look at the first point, your will be done. Now, the topic of of God's will is something that pastors and theologians get a lot of questions about. You know, people are always wanting to know, am I in the will of God? Am I doing what God wants me to do? I got that question all the time when I was on campus. You can imagine you've got college students who are trying to pick a major. Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? You know, and uh, you just get that question all the time. Am I in the will of God? And traditionally, theologians have spoken about the will of God and kind of placed it into two big categories. So the first category is the sovereign or what's called the decretive will of God. And this refers to God's will as the sovereign king. Remember, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So this is the the God's will as the sovereign king to cause whatever he decrees to come to pass. An example of this is let there be light. I decree it by my sovereign will, and it came to be. Or He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, this decree that He made by His sovereign power. This is also called the hidden will of God because we cannot know it. And Deuteronomy 29.29 reminds us the secret things belong to the Lord. There are some things that are part of the hidden sovereign will of God that we just don't know, and we can't figure it out. And it probably doesn't do us any good to sit around and try to figure it out because we just trust the sovereign hand of the Lord. The other thing about this sovereign will of God is this will is also not limited in any way by the will of man. Our will is always and everywhere limited by God's sovereignty. And when there's a conflict between my will and God's will, mine has to give way because I'm not the sovereign. And a good example of this, I actually saw a video this past week, you know, if you've ever scrolled around on YouTube or had something pop up, there was a video of the, the royal guards in, in the, uh, at the British castle. And so you may have seen these guys with the red coat and then the big fuzzy black hat that goes way up and they stand at attention. And there was a video of the royal guards going and doing their patrol around the walls of the castle. And there's a bunch of tourists around. And one of the things that they did is they're marching. You can even see there's a line worn in the stone where they've been doing this for so long. And as people are there milling around, one of the things that they yell is they yell, Make way! Make way! And they will not stop for you. And some tourists have tried to test that and as you can imagine, have not been met with the most gracious response because they're not going to break stride. That's the reason why the stones are worn out. And they yell, make way, make way, make way. And they're basically saying, make way for the sovereign. And you can imagine what happens to anyone trying to impede the forward progress of the monarch in those moments. It it does not go well for them. Look at verses 14 and 15 this morning, where Paul is recognizing the sovereign majesty of God who has named everything. Look at what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul is, again, just recognizing God is sovereign. He is the majestic king. He bows the knee before him. He bows his knee in prayer. And he says, by every, every family that is named, what that named kind of naming implies is ownership or authority over. So you think about when Adam and Eve were put in the garden, Adam goes about naming all of the things that he sees. It's this kind of this expression of ownership. The other bucket that we see here, aside from the sovereign will of God, is the perceptive will of God, a.k.a. his revealed will. So his hidden will and his revealed will. That's an easier way to think about it. And his revealed will is all the laws and commands God issues to regulate the behavior of his creation. An example of this is honor your father and your mother. That your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. This is the kind of the way that I want you to live. It's his kingdom. He gets to set the rules of engagement. And we read in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 8, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. This kind of preceptive will of God, these kind of laws and rules and commands that God has issued and given to us. And so the question that we're asking this morning is, which category is Jesus talking about here in this prayer? Is he talking about the sovereign will? Is he talking about the preceptive will of God? What are we praying for when we pray, your will be done? As we're asking that question again, reformed, confessional, we write everything down history is really helpful. Here's Westminster Larger Catechism answer number 192 that talks about the third petition. In the third petition, which is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, acknowledging that by nature we and all men are not only utterly unable and unwilling to know and do the will of God, but prone to rebel against his word, to repine and murmur against his providence, and wholly inclined to do the will of the flesh and of the devil. Hey, that's a good start. Says, hey, you're utterly incapable of doing the will of God. Hey, thanks, larger catechism. But here's where it turns. We pray that God would, by His Spirit, take away from ourselves and others all blindness, weakness, indisposedness, and perverseness of heart, and by His grace make us able and willing to know, do, and submit to His will in all things with the like humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, sincerity, and constancy as the angels do in heaven. The Heidelberg Catechism, when it asked the question, you know, what do we, what do we pray for in the third petition? There was a, an interesting phrase that just kind of caught my attention because it was written in the 1560s. The Heidelberg Catechism say, may we approach, may we understand your will, and without any backtalk, <laughs> obey it. It actually says that in the, in the catechism. I was like, I can hear my mom saying that. <laughs> you know, that may we recognize the will of God, and without any backtalk, may we obey it. All that is, that's a lot of words to tell us that we're talking about the second category, the revealed will of God in the Lord's Prayer, as it pertains to us. And the first category is going to be done, whether we like it or not, by a sovereign God, and it's not ours to worry about, and we trust God's good heart. His sovereign will, it's going to happen. A lot of times we even see that when you turn around and look back. You're like, oh, that's what you've been up to. I get it. But the revealed will is what we're talking about. And so what we're petitioning God to do in this petition is to bring rebellious human hearts just like ours, actually starting with us, into a growing conformity to His revealed will. And by default, a growing conformity to Jesus Christ through that ongoing process of sanctification by the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 16 and 17 here as Paul goes on. He says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, the question is, how do we know the revealed will of God? We can't know the hidden will. That's because it's hidden, right? How do we know the revealed will? First and foremost, by the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1 tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That this word that's existed, it came and it put on skin, it walked among us. Jesus Christ says when you look at the sun, you're seeing the word incarnate. First and foremost through Jesus Christ. Because look up at verse 9. Look at what Paul says. He says, and bring to light, and that's referencing verse 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. For everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? So Jesus revealed God's doing something. He's doing something in a different way. This Jesus is coming, this promised redeemer. He's here now, and God is doing something here. But also, we think about, we look to Christ, but also by the written words, God has preserved for us by his grace. And so 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17 says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, where do we find the the revealed will of God? God's will for you is revealed in the unshakable Scriptures, not your feelings that change from moment to moment. You want to know God's will? Read your Bible. We've said before, you want to hear God speak to you? Read your Bible. You want to hear God speak to you audibly? Read your Bible out loud. God is not hiding from you. His his will is revealed for you. God himself has revealed himself in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. We're thankful for that, right? But God doesn't write things in the sky for you because he's already written them in his word. And he calls us to trust him and obey him and to listen to his word. And the first three, first three questions of the shorter catechism are really helpful here. Okay, You're like, there goes Dave again with all the catechisms and creeds. I know. We've, we write stuff down that's been around for hundreds of years and it's super helpful. So question one, what's the chief end of man? Why are we here? Answer one, man's chief end is to what? Glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. That is our chief end. Okay, so the second question is, what rule has God given us to help direct us how we can do that? Glorify and enjoy Him. Here's what the the answer is. The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. So we have the Scriptures. Third question, super helpful. I refer to this one all the time. It asks the question, what do the Scriptures principally teach? Okay, so if our job is to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever, you've given us the Scripture to help us to know how we glorify and enjoy Him forever. Well, what's the Bible about? What are the Scriptures about? The question is, what do the Scriptures principally teach? And the answer is, the Scriptures principally teach two things. Number one, what man is to believe concerning God. And number two, what duty God requires of man. Super helpful. Catechisms, ladies and gentlemen. Here's what Sproul said about this. He said, Our chief end, our main purpose in our existence, our primary reason for being is to glorify God. But there's a bonus in that. As we glorify Him through obedience, we enjoy Him. You ever thought about that? As our hearts become more conformed to the Scripture, as we obey God and trust Him, we actually enjoy Him in the process. I know it sounds counterintuitive. God has already given us, if you think about this, God has already given us the franchise plan for how life works best. Has he not? Here's the plan. This is how life works best. It's time tested. It has a proven track record. And it's able to be replicated anywhere. We trust it. God has already given us that. And so where do we get a picture of this joy coming through obedience to God? How does it help us understand what Jesus is talking about in this prayer? Where do we see an example of that, where joy comes through obedience? This is where the second part of the third petition comes in, and this is where the rubber hits the road. We think about not only your will be done, remember sovereign revealed, but also on earth as it is in heaven. That's our second point. Again, here's what Sproul said. In this petition, Jesus is affirming that the will of God is done in heaven. However, he is also affirming that it's not done here. Because remember, we're asking, Lord, may what is being done in heaven be done here. That means we're not doing it right. People here on earth do not strive to glorify God. They do not seek the kingdom of God. They do not hallow the name of God, end quote. Remember from last week, our American heart's great against the idea of any sovereign king or any time we hear the words submit or obey. Do you like hearing those words? Obey this. And we go, no, nah, I don't think so. That's built into our hearts, right? We come pre-wired for sin and rebellion. And so God says, obey me in this way. Think about Adam and Eve, right? God says, obey me in this way. Here's the one rule I have for you. And What did Adam and Eve do? Hey, thanks, God. Thanks for the tip. But I think I'll do this instead. Thank you very much. And so you think, how, how long did Adam and Eve make it in their you know, following the will of God? A page and a half. A page and a half. And if you think that somehow you can do better than Adam and Eve, even when they only had one thing to follow, you are kidding yourself. And our hearts just rebel against God. And our American sensibility and culture just kind of grates up against that. Why? Because we want our will to be done. Not God's will. We want our kingdom to grow. Not His. We want our name to be hallowed. Not His. That's built into our hearts. This is why this portion of the Lord's Prayer is so difficult to to pray. Have you ever thought about this is the hardest part of this prayer? Your will be done. Because what it makes you do is admit that you're not in charge. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not mine. And you have to admit that I'm not in charge. Here's what Al Mohler said. Praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven also reorients our own sense of personal autonomy and sense of control over our lives and situations. This petition causes us to forfeit all of our personal claims of lordship and sovereignty over our lives. This petition expresses a humble resignation to and desire for the reign and rule of God. It is no longer my will that is preeminent, but his, end quote. But this is where the gospel comes in. Because instead of seeing this picture of like an aloof, dour-faced petty, selfish king who only takes and takes and takes for his own pleasure. We're given a picture of a glorious, loving, giving God. Look at verse 17 as we carry on here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounding in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Did you notice that phrase, that you may comprehend with all the saints? Did you pick up on that when we read through that? This shows the depth and breadth of God's glorious kingdom, a kingdom marked by mercy and grace where enemies are made citizens and beggars are made his children. Ephesians 2, 12 to to 13 and 18 and 19. Paul wrote just uh, right before this passage, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for through him we have, uh, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You think about the immensity of this kingdom that God is building. This kingdom is composed of people from all nations, from all tribes and tongues and skin colors and backgrounds and socioeconomic levels, all brought into the kingdom and brought near by the blood of Christ, by a sovereign God who sought them out and said, you're mine and my kingdom is on the move. And so you think about what's going on here. How did all of this happen? Do you remember what Christ prayed for in the garden before his crucifixion? Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Where would you be if the Son of God had not submitted to the will of his father on the cross? You may have looked at that passage in Philippians this morning if you were here for Sunday school, the humiliation of Christ. He took, he he did not see. The equality with God, something to be grasped and held on to tightly, but he made himself a servant and entered into our world. Did he have to? No. He's the sovereign king. But you think about what would, what would your life be like if the Son of God had not submitted to the will of the Father in this way? Lord, not my will, but yours. You would still be lost in your sin, You would still be under the weight of fully keeping every jot and tittle of God's holy law on your own. And so we ask the question here, what is one of the signposts that we see to the building of the kingdom? One of the main signposts of the breaking in of God's kingdom is the presence of people who joyfully obey and are guided by the word of God because they know that their massive sin debt was paid for at the cross and now it is their joy to obey the true king because he did whatever it took to purchase them back from the grave while they were still shaking their fist at, them, at, at him as his enemies and while they were 100% dead in their sins and trespasses. How do we see the kingdom breaking forward? We see once rebellious people who are saying, I will never do what you want me to do. You're seeing groups of people who are saying, Lord, I trust you and I'm going to submit to your word because I'm going to trust that you know how life works best. And people who are guided by the Word of God. Philippians 2, 8-11 again. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So you hear that word obey... And what do you immediately think? You go, I don't like that. Okay, here's the thing. We don't obey so that God will love us. We obey because God already loves us. It is our joy to obey this king who bought us. We don't obey so that God will love us. That's moralism. You can't do it. It's a fool's errand. Go be perfect, and then bring your righteousness before God and say, God, is this enough? Will you bless me now? And a lot of y'all grew up hearing that. I grew up hearing that. Go be a good boy. Go prove yourself. If you've done it enough, then maybe God will love you. That's not the gospel. That's moralism. The gospel says we don't obey so that he will love us. We obey, we respond in obedience because he already loves us. While we were at our worst, while we were his enemies, while we were beggars at the gate, he chose to set his love upon us, and now it is our joy to obey the the God who bought us. See, that's the gospel. It takes everything you think about how religion works and flips it on its head, and the gospel's never going to make sense until that gets in your heart. And I'm going to say it every week. Every week. It's an amazing thing when you think about it have this kind of hope this morning is Jesus your savior in this way as you submit to him and rest in him are you able to finally say not my kingdom not my will hallowed not be my name do you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ in him alone this morning do you put your full weight the full weight of your life do you place it upon all that Jesus has done in your behalf and rest in him alone Or are you still clinging to your own self-salvation project? Are you still clinging to the tattered rags of your self-righteousness? If you are, repent and believe the true gospel. Rest in Christ. Here's the fastball. Here we go. Rest in Christ. Trust in Christ. Look to Christ alone. It's Christ and Christ alone. We just sang a song about that. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Doesn't it sound weird if you said, In me, my hope is found? I am my life, my strength, my song. It sounds weird to sing it, doesn't it? But some of you live like that. And I am asking you, begging you, pleading with you as a minister in the gospel to turn from that and rush to Jesus. Rest in Christ, look to Christ. We think about we, when this message changes our hearts, we rightly worship and glorify the God who sought us out and while we were beggars at the gate and we happily give up all claims to personal glory. We erase me, mind, I from the salvation equation and we give God all the glory. And when we do that, we join in the chorus of heaven and we get a peek behind the curtain at an undeserved heaven and the kingdom that cannot be shaken to which we have been given an inheritance by faith alone. Full of sinners, saved by grace, who are now perfectly clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not their own. So you know that feeling when you're like, man, I wish that this over here was happening right here. I wish we had that in our town. I wish that what is being done really well over here would happen here. That's what we're praying for in the the third petition. May the true worship and adoration, full-throated, with all of our hearts, may that worship that is happening right now in heaven, may we get a glimpse of that here. As you are being obeyed as the sovereign king, may that happen here. And you know what we're praying? Start with us. Start with the people right here. Not... All those dirty people that don't get it. No, start with us first, Lord. And may it spill out. Isaiah got a peek behind the curtain when he saw the throne room in chapter 6. John got a peek behind the curtain when he was in exile on the island of Patmos. And I'll close with this. You want a description of what we are praying and asking God to do? Lord, may what is happening up in heaven happen here right now. Thy will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Here's this picture, Revelation 5. Whoop, going to Revelation, here we go. Revelation 5, 6 to 13. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. and glory and might forever and ever. You see the vision in Isaiah 6 of one which Isaiah saw it and he said, I am a man of unclean lips. And you see the the angels around the throne of God and the train of his robe is so big it fills the entire temple. And what what are they singing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This chorus of ceaseless praise This chorus of ceaseless worship because of who God is, because he's holy, and his name is to be hallowed, and his kingdom will never end, and his will is good and true and right. That's what we pray for in the first, second, and third petition. That's why the Lord's Prayer matters. That's why, as we said, it takes 20 seconds to recite, but a lifetime to learn. And we need the Spirit's help in this. Our prayer is simply this. God, may we worship you here on earth as you are worshipped in heaven right now. May your name be hallowed. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that every bit of it's true. And Lord, as we feel this longing in our hearts that we wish that all that is right and true and perfect, that we would see that here on earth as we know is happening in heaven right now. Lord, may that be the cry of our hearts. Lord, please start with us as we pray your will be done. Help us to obey the words that you left us. Help us to trust that this is how life works best. Lord, forgive us for all the ways that we just rebel against you and shake our fist at you and say, no, I know better than you. Lord, help us to humbly, humbly bow before you and say, Lord, I don't know how life works best, but you do, and I'm going to trust you. Change my heart. Oh, Lord, to to, uh, come more in line with your revealed will. Thank you that you've not left us alone. We take our Bibles for granted. Lord, thank you that you've not left us alone. You've given us your word that we can know you and we can know our duty, Lord, before you as those whom you have bought and ransomed back. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that it is not our own merit that saves us, And help us to look to Christ and Christ alone in all things for your glory and for your sake. We pray these things humbly in Christ's precious name. Amen.